Hey guys, Montel Hanger. Welcome to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. I'm so excited to have the guest that I have on today with me. My guest today is a former television anchor and an award-winning sports reporter. After graduating with a master's in journalism from the University of Southern California, she spent two years working for the Houston Texans as a media personality and over the decade of working in sports journalism. Her debut novel, which is called Sideline Confidential, was released in August of 2023. Through Sideline Confidential, she gives us a glimpse into the challenges women in professional sports and professional broadcasting face in a male-dominated world of pro sports. Bentley, thank you so much for being a guest of Free Thinking with Montel today. Montel, thank you for having me. And I have to start by saying I'm a huge fan of yours. And I didn't even know if that was professional for me to start that way. <laughs> But I really am. I've always admired your work and your service. Um, I come from a family that has a lot of military veterans. And so I just really appreciated the way that you've honored that. And uh, I'm a big fan. So I, I had to say that. <laughs> I thank you for that. Look, how about we, we talk a little bit about that just a second before we go into the interview yeah. about your sports broadcasting. Uh, you say you have a lot of family members who were in the military. What were they? Father, uncles, grandfathers? Who? All of it. So grandfathers both served in World War II. And then my brother-in-law was in the Marines. He did three tours in Afghanistan. Oh, how's yep. Marine? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then another brother-in-law who was a surgeon in the Air Force. And he ran trauma units for several years. I think almost four or five years in Afghanistan. What were their ranks? You know, oh gosh. And yeah. looking at one of them, his flag, we have a, a sort sure. of a shrine to them over this computer. So we'd have to go back and look. But um, yeah. it's, you know, they... Uh, have really also influenced my children. And so I really love that they can share those stories with them. And I have two sons and it's important for them to know the sacrifices people in our military have made for our country. You know, and and, and I don't, I'm not putting you in a political position here. You don't have to make a political statement, but what do you think about what's going on right now when it comes to our military? I'm sure that the uh, member of your family who was a surgeon was an officer. And I don't yes. know if you know that, you know, recently, our um, service members have been held up by one particular senator who has blocked the promotions and uh, for our, our veterans who are for our servicemen who are serving right now. These guys have already made and met all the requirements to be promoted. They are on the list. And for the last three months, four months now, they've not been able to be promoted. Therefore, they've not been able to, in some cases, uh, you know, go to their new assignments. In other cases, they're kind of like sitting in limbo. They don't know what they're doing. This is ridiculous. I mean, you know, as a, as a service member myself, I couldn't imagine, you know, um, you know, I made 04, um, got deep selected 04, and had I made 05, I, that means I did everything that was required by me to deserve my promotion. And now I've got some Yahoo who's holding up. What do you think about that as a family member or service member? I, I mean, that is my brother-in-law's exact same sentiments. He's talked to us about that, my family about that quite a bit, because look, they're putting their lives on their line, on the line. And the amount of sacrifice that these men and women uh, undertake, it's, it's, it's humbling, but it's also been so upsetting to see that they're not promoted. And like you said, just hanging in limbo. Um, I mean, my brother-in-law, he was running trauma units where he didn't sleep at night. I mean, he was sleeping two to three hours a night because people were coming in. He was performing amputation after amputation, he wow. said. And I mean, the experiences he had there, and now he can run any surgical unit in the United States and it seems easy. 
but people don't really have an appreciation for that. And um, I, I think that is hard for him. Absolutely. And I think it's probably hard. He's got children. I'm sorry. I have two children. No, does he have children? Oh, he does. Yes, he has two children yeah. as well. So, so there, it's, you know, what, what people don't understand, civilians don't understand is that it puts, it's not just the service member not getting his new rank. It puts this person in a position where their entire family has to suffer. They can't be transferred. They can't be transferred to their new jobs. And if they do get transferred to their new jobs, they do so without necessarily the additional pay that that new job would have given them. So therefore, when they go to the new job, um, you know, their children may or may not be enrolled in new schools. They're going to have difficulty getting a mortgage. Getting a, it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it trickles down through the entire family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and benefits. I mean, you can, the list goes on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I appreciate when you, you brought up the military, I wanted to make sure we let people at home understand that there's something. That's why I brought it up, Montel. I just, you know, it was, I thought about it this morning when I woke up and I said, I got to say something because this is something that is, you know, very important to my family. Sure. For sure. Without a doubt. Look, let's, let's back up a little bit. You know, again, thank you so much for joining me today. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and you know, what, what motivated you to get into sports journalism? So Montel, I grew up in Houston, Texas. I played sports as a little girl. I loved volleyball, basketball, tennis, track and field, all of the sports. And I loved going to the, the hometown games. And um, I got to go to Rockets games when Akeem Olajuwon was playing. And I, oh, I was a huge Akeem fan. And I was at a game and I saw a woman anchor walk by. Her name's Lisa Malowski. And she had this red blazer on. And I looked at my dad and I said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I mean, it just it, I thought it was so cool to be in the action of the games. And that really stuck with me. And so, um, you know, I went through school. I played volleyball at Davidson College. Most, most people know it as Steph Curry's school. And uh, when I was in college, I thought, well, I don't know. What, can I really make it as a sportscaster? I should probably do something more practical. So I decided that I would work for a law firm and I would be an attorney. And I worked for a law firm for a little bit and did not enjoy that. I was an intern and thought, no, I really, really want to be in sports broadcasting. I love to write. I love to tell stories and I love sports. And so I ended up going to USC and I got my master's in journalism. And right out of school, I got a job with the Houston Texans. They were bringing media in-house to own their own media. So they are putting all you know, TV shows, radio shows, um, radio broadcasts of the game. They wanted full ownership of that and they would sell the advertising. And so I was part of that group that was bringing all of that media in-house. And when they bought you in-house, I mean, did you think this is a career, I, I'm shocked for yourself. Did you think, man, I'm shocked. They really do do appreciate a woman's contribution. So this is going to be a great gig or what were you, was it trepidation? What, what was going on in your mind? You know, I was so young and so naive. I don't really know what I was thinking except for, I made it to the NFL. I mean, this is the biggest deal in sports. And I thought, I, I'm going to go straight to the top from here. And I had no appreciation for how hard it is for young women, especially to climb the ranks. Because immediately when you walk in, you people assume you don't know what you're talking about, especially in football, because you know most women don't play football. And so, I mean, I definitely had to prove to the other people in the room that I knew my stuff. I was there because I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to cover the team, not because I wanted to hang out with coaches and players because there's that automatic assumption, especially when you're young. Now, when you're a veteran reporter and you've been out there for a long time, if you're, you know, uh, someone who's really climbed Holly Rowe, who's been a longtime college reporter for ESPN, Andrea Kramer. I mean, those people, of course, they've been seasoned. Everyone respects their work. They're pros. But 
as a young woman, I felt like I really did have to prove myself extra hard. Um, there were also things, Montel, I mean, you know, first day of work, I was told that I needed to ride my own bus, that they were worried about me riding a bus with players and coaches because I would be a distraction with them on game days. And I thought these players play next to cheerleaders. I mean, like, what, what is the big deal? Um, but I, that did change over the course of the season. The players and coaches all realized, I mean, everyone realized that I was part of the team and there was really no difference. And then they let me ride the bus. But that initial experience really stuck with me. And it made me think about, there's probably so many other women with other stories like mine. And these stories together could be a book. And But but then you, you were straddling a line in a way. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying inside yourself. Yeah, I mean, yes. oh, go ahead. Excuse me, I'm sorry. No, 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 because I, I, I don't want my question to be as ignorant as I think it sounds, but here you are, a young woman. There's a lot of attractive guys. You know, and, and I'm not saying that that's the only thing, that that's not the only thing on your mind, but at the same time, that's something that's on your mind, I think. It would be impossible to not be on your mind. So, right, especially but, when you're young and you just, you don't have that compass of, you know, moral compass and that lifetime of knowledge to really guide you through a situation like that. Um, you know, I do, I mean, there were definitely situations that I was in that I was not handling well. And I wanted to convey that in the book because it's hard when you're young and you don't know how to stand up for yourself or you don't know um, really where a boundary is. And um, I think that for me, the hardest part as a young woman is I, I felt so lucky to be there. I felt so lucky to have a job in the NFL that I was willing to sort of to do whatever I was told to do it. Um, and, you know, I put a, in the book, there's a scene about a, the team, the media group going on some group team bonding to a strip club. I mean, that happened with a lot of teams. And that was something that for me was uncomfortable. Now for me, I said, no, I left. But there were other women who felt very uncomfortable and been in that situation and gone because they felt like they needed to, to be with their coworkers. Um, you know, it's, I do. I feel like I was straddling a line. And for me, it was kind of like they wanted a pretty face, but they wanted and they wanted someone who knew who knew their stuff. I mean, they don't want someone up there talking, um, being, the you know, on the Jumbotron, being on the team's website, being on shows on radio who has no idea what she's talking about. But they was like, you need to be pretty, but not sexy. You need to know your stuff, but don't know more than the guys. And I felt like I walked a tightrope and I was it was as a young woman, hard to navigate that. Well, now you've mentioned it in a couple of times, so let's make sure we talk about it. The book that you've just written, as a matter of fact, was published in August of this year. It's called Sideline Confidential, where you go into stories and you talk about, you know, what it was like, um, honestly, I should say, growing up, trying to do a legitimate job, but trying to figure out how you navigate this space. Now, you know, you said this thing about the fact that, you know, I guess, was it a coach or someone suggested that you go ahead and do these two team bonding events by going to strip clubs? Come on. <laughs> you know, I think they were so used to having just men in this group, this media group. I was the first woman to consistently travel with the team. And so they suggested that. And then we, you know, I got in the cab and went with everyone and I look around and I'm like, I'm not comfortable here. And they understood that. They're like, yeah, you should go. But I just think that there was no awareness. And, um, and and granted, I worked for the team for the Texans in 2007. So it was a while ago. But um, 
that's, I mean, it's not that long ago to think about like, wow, that's, that's team bonding for a group. And, you know, you have a young woman in her mid twenties and you think that that's probably, you know, that might make her uncomfortable. There was no, that didn't even register at first. For, for and, 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 no, and nobody wanted to go with you to see the Chippendales, did they? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, but, you know, I've other, I had a lot of friends and, and one of them was the first female columnist for the Houston Chronicle first, I'm sorry, sports columnist um, for the Houston Chronicle. And she said that a lot of when she would cover, she covered basketball a lot and she would talk to different people in the front office from NBA teams. And they say, well, why don't you meet us? We're going to talk to some reporters, meet us at the strip club later. And she was like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, I know that I can get information off the record, but that's not, I'm completely uncomfortable with that. And she, I'm drawing a hard boundary there. And she just say, no, no, you, I'm happy to meet you beforehand in your lobby for a drink, something like that. But there's, I'm not, I, I don't go to strip club. Right. Um, and so she said, when she read the book, it gave her PTSD. She said, oh my gosh, I kept thinking about all those front office executives in the NBA who kept wanting me to meet them at strip clubs. And I kept saying no. And she said, I know I missed out on information that other male reporters got because they did meet these executives there. But she said, I just, I did not feel comfortable. And I mean, mine was sort of a blip in my career. I didn't go. I got on the the cab and went home. But her story is, and I did talk to her because I had her read my manuscript. And she's like, no, you need to make this scene central to the book because that happens a lot for women in this industry. And she said, and for me, it was really hard. And I guess, you know, there's some more things that must have been extremely central to this. You're a very attractive lady. And so therefore, you know, you're probably, you know, um, I, I, I can't imagine you know, just navigating one full day without being overtly over-sexualized. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely comments, text messages. Uh, when I left the team, I went on to become a sports anchor and reporter for a station. I gave my phone, my team issued phone to the next guy who took my position. And he contacted me and he said, I had to actually ask the team for another phone because I was getting so many crude messages. He said, I'm so sorry that you got those. That made me very uncomfortable. And I just ignored them for the most part. And I would say most of the men that I worked with in the locker room were very respectful. They were very nice to me, but there are quite a few young guys who come in and just think it's funny to do that. Um, or maybe they think that, you know, I'll say yes and want to, you know, I don't know, but um, I would say, you know, and a lot of the good players, there's so many great guys that I, that I feel very lucky to have covered or to have worked with when I was with the team, but there were a few, there were a few that sent messages that, I mean, I just had, I would screenshot them. So I had them for my records and I would just let it lie and never answered them because I knew that that could come back to bite me. And, you know, now, I mean, I guess you must've been not shaken, but at least you understood what a soccer player, female soccer player, recently went through a Spanish team having a coach literally just think it's okay to grab you by the face and kiss you right dead in the mouth, and it's something that you want. I mean, what, what was what do you think about what just happened there and transpired? Fortunately, the guy did just finally step down, and you know he's done. Um, uh, I I I do. <sighs> I was a little, just slightly torn, not really torn because I'm telling you, it's 2023. Come on, homeboy. You don't know you can't grab a girl by the face and kiss her in the mouth. But I I kind of, in my brain, went, okay, I see it from his perspective. I'm just so excited. We just went, oh, my goodness. But that's inappropriate. So what did you think? You know, it's very funny. I've been doing a book tour, and 
a lot of people have asked me about this as I've been at bookstores. And it, obviously it's a burning subject in sports, especially in sports and with women. And so, um, you know, you, it's a line that you can't cross. Like you cannot touch someone and kiss someone that way. I mean, even if you're excited, maybe a big hug and like lift them up, but you don't need to kiss someone on the mouth. Right. And he, he had to resign. I mean, he really had no choice right. at that point. And I mean, especially because the way FIFA has looked in the past, like there was just, there was no margin for error there. Like he had to resign, but I have seen some things that he has, I don't want to say complained, but he's saying that now his life has been ruined. He's getting hate mail, you know, death threats, all these messages, which is, wait, people should never do that. Like, you don't want to Keep ruin your lips in your pocket. I'm so, well, I agree with you. No, he does not deserve the vitriol that's come after this. Right. But I think in some ways he, deserves, he asked for it. Yeah, but he deserves not to have a job. Like, I mean, that's, you know, it's a fireable offense. And and at the same time, I'm sorry, he doubled down. And you know, this we're living we're living in this world of you know I don't do anything wrong. I'm gonna double down on this. But the truth of the matter is, you know, when the when the complaint first came in, he should have stepped to the table and said, "I am so sorry. I you know just the emotions of the moment got got to me, and I was excited. That was not anything sexualized. I just it was just a, the same way I would walk up to a man and kiss him on the cheek. And you know, you go to you go to Italy or you go to some other place in Europe and men will kiss each other on the cheeks, cheek and cheek. You know, it's like, okay, hold on, homeboy. I don't need you to kiss me. But at the same time, you're in that kind of position and the world has cameras on you this way. You got to check yourself. A hundred percent. I mean, and at that magnitude, at that level, you, you, you can't do that. Right. <laughs> it's just like, right. No, we can't do it ever, whenever, you know, like it makes a woman uncomfortable, like you, that you have to respect that. Um, and I really felt like he, if he had apologized and handled the situation better, maybe there would have been, uh, I don't know, less of an outcry. Yeah, but, a little contrition. Yeah, but there was none. Right. He, he deserves not to have his job. Absolutely, I, I will. I will agree with you 100. You know, you, you said something earlier. You're one of those girls. Those uh, as a teenager, you like sports, and you know, you really uh, valued sports. I, I have a daughter who is, you know, in her uh, later 30s, but this child watches more football than I have ever watched in my life, and she always has. It's. I mean, she had. Let's go back 12 years ago. She was one of the first girls I ever knew that was part of the fantasy football thing. Oh wow. My daughter loves football. And I mean, to the point that, you know, there are some days that I, I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm so sorry. I'm not that into it. I, I, now I did watch a game last night, the whole game, but I, you know, for years now, I've kind of pulled a little bit away from football. My daughter knows every player on half the teams and she could tell you who ran for that. And I'm like, really? And she said, yeah. And I, she could be a broadcaster if she wanted to. She's a makeup artist and she's doing really, really well as that. Um, but, you know, you said something earlier that, you know, people just don't think you have the gravitas, the educational expertise, or you, you studied. Did you feel like that was something after a while that people started to say, well, you know what? Brooke doesn't know her stuff. Yes. Um, I think after I worked for the Texans, working in the NFL gives you immediate street cred because obviously it's football at the highest level. Second of all, you have to be pretty tough to cut it in the NFL, especially as a young woman. I mean, to know that you've been with a team, you've learned their schemes, you've been able to keep up 
knowledge wise to cover them and know exactly what's going on from personnel, who's being drafted, uh, you know, from schematics, all of that. Uh, I learned, I learned a ton, but then I think too, when I went to cover teams, pro teams, college teams, even high school teams, high school football in Texas is a huge deal. I mean, it is in Florida too. It's a huge deal in Texas. And so um, I, I, you know, coaches wherever I went or other outlets really respected that I had worked for the Texans and I'd cut my teeth there. And I felt like I was treated differently. And, and I get it. When you're new in any job, I don't know, people maybe doubt where you're coming from. But I also feel like I worked in a situation where I was I was new to my position right out of graduate school. There was an intern who was right out of college and people would defer to him and ask him the questions and not me. And it was automatically assumed that he would know the football answers. And <laughs> I, I sat down with coaches when I got to the Texans and I was really lucky because I had several coaches who really wanted to help me learn. And one of them said, all right, listen, I'm, he was a secondary coach. He goes, I want to teach you all of our packages, our nickel and dime packages. I want, I want you to sit down and learn this so that you know when people ask you about our defense, you understand what's going on in the secondary. I had receivers coaches work with me and learn our routes. And, um, I, you know, I really felt like, I, you know, I worked so hard to know that because I was, I was terrified not to know. I mean, I felt like then no one's going to really take me seriously. And, and it must have been powerful when the first time they asked the intern and he didn't know and you knew. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, the funny thing was, is that he was terrified as far as media goes. Like he didn't want to be in front of the camera. And so they would say, oh, well, he should he should do that. And he's just like, no, 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 that, that's Brooke's job. And he's like, please, like, I, I'm really here to collect quotes. Like, please ask Brooke. He was great. I mean, he wanted to support me. But um, he kept saying, he's like, I don't understand. Um, it, you know, what was funny, he said, I don't understand because everyone defers to me for questions. And he said, and I think it's obviously just because I'm a male. But the players, a lot of the players really supported me and they knew that I had worked hard to really get to know the team's offense and defense, the personnel, their stories, all of that. And so they would say, OK, I'm going to give Brooke an interview first and then I'm giving an interview to so and so because they they knew that. And I, I really appreciated that. You know, and now I mean, when you, when you see a game, people don't understand. <laughs> it looks glamorous when the camera cuts to you and you're standing on the sideline and you got that microphone and you're talking to the guy. But most people didn't see the fact that you had to run 60 yards to get to that place. Oh or you God. had to run another 60 yards to get to another place. Or you had to bustle through and run by the the, the, the tables. and, and the, Right? I mean, there's, there's so much that goes on off camera that it's almost more off camera than it is on camera. Oh, Montel, you hit the nail on the head. If I could tell you stories for days. I mean, I have – what's really great is that now, like, Sneakers, tennis shoes, they're all glamorous and people can wear them on camera. And if you look at the ESPN anchors, they're all wearing tennis shoes. I mean, when I was doing sidelines in the beginning, everyone wore heels or, you know, these uncomfortable shoes and you were racing around the field trying to get an injury update or, you know, get in position for the next play if someone had thrown a huge deep pass, a mom. But um, I mean, I think the my favorite story, I was eight and a half months pregnant. I was doing a college game at Energy Stadium where the Texans play. And I was uh, ran down the field to cover, uh, I think it was, uh, I covered an injury. That's what it was. And so I ran down the field and I wasn't prepared for a team to score because I was really like trying to figure out this player was being carted off. I was getting my notes together. I was about to, to go live and do a cut in. 
and a team scored and a cannon went off right where I was standing oh. eight and a half months pregnant. I mean, I literally was like, I almost wet my pants. It was like, <laughs> and I, my baby's going crazy in my stomach. And the producer goes, oh my gosh, if you go into labor, we are definitely making top plays on ESPN. I'm like, I don't really want to go to labor right now. Like, <laughs> that is not at all what yeah. I want. <laughs> I don't want all these football players around me trying to figure out who's going to deliver, right? <laughs> right. I was like, no, let's not even talk about that. But um, yeah, and then I was like, I was like, just give me a second to collect myself. So I like took a few seconds and then I went on camera to, to give my injury report. But I had to laugh because I'm like, no one saw the last five minutes where I literally was like, you know, my baby's like punching my stomach. And <laughs> you know, there are more female sportscasters and journalists, I think, in sports now than I, I has ever been. I mean, do you just see the field improving? Do you see, you know, do you think that it's, it's uh, and I don't, I don't say this as an aspersion, but it's no longer we have to have that, you know, make sure that we have that one woman on the, on the sideline. But now it's just you are part of the makeup based on, um, you know, your ability and your skill rather than your sex. And so do you see there's more opportunities now based on that than there have been? I do. I think that in the beginning, women started out on the sidelines and now you see them color commentary, even play-by-play. I mean, you look at Doris Burke and what she's done covering basketball. Um, Really, the industry has changed. I I will give it credit because there has been a momentum forward. And I actually wanted to portray that in my book, that there is a sense of change out there. Um, I think that, you know, there's more opportunities for women. It's hard because there are limited opportunities out there in sports journalism to begin with. And so it seems like there are these few coveted spots that are held by women Um, And so a lot of times it can feel like women are competing against each other, but I feel like sort of as more women get into different positions, not just sideline reporting, but they're on the radio, they're doing play by play color commentary, they're sports columnist, um, that it's really become more women supporting women and there's just more opportunities. Now, I think it is still hard for young women breaking in. And and that's what I wanted to address in my book, because I I just think that it's still there's this bias that they don't quite know as much. They don't know how to handle these situations like a man would. And so, you know, and I will also say it is harder for women in the industry being a mom than a male in that industry. I mean, just like silent reporting, a male isn't going to be pregnant on the sidelines. A, A woman is. And so having children traveling. I mean, I ended up leaving my career ultimately because I worked nights, weekends, and holidays. And I missed my oldest son taking his first steps. Um, I was in, I think it was in Louisiana that day. And then um, my youngest son, I just, I I realized after a football season, I had hardly seen him or my family. It's been six months and, and he'd become this other baby. And I was like, I feel like I don't recognize him. And I got, you know, I said, I just need a, I need a football season off. And I took a little bit of time away and um, I was doing some nonprofit writing. And that's when I started writing my book because I just thought I have all these stories to share. I have friends who've worked for other teams. I have friends who've worked in sports journalism for a long time and we're all close and we've shared our experiences and I could put them together and write something kind of like the devil wears Prada, but in the NFL, uh, but with a message. And so uh, that's how it all came together. Now, do you, do you think and and hear me with this one because this is uh, I'm just throwing it out. I'm not again making a statement one way or the other, but don't you think that right now, because women's sports are finally starting to really grow around the world, from soccer to tennis, 
I mean, I watched the other day the Steffi, uh, the Coco Graf. Oh my gosh, wasn't that amazing? I, I didn't so get to see inspired the whole, by that Montel. I, I am too, but I got to tell you something. What, what ticked me off a little bit was when it was over and they went to interview her, there were only three women sitting at the table interviewing her. There wasn't a man. Now, does it mean that we can't have men in a, interview women? I mean, you don't have men interviewing women outside their locker room or in their locker room. What's going on here? Is there like a reverse discrimination going on? Because as female sports grow, as they grow, it seems as if, you know, the industry, the media industry only believes that women have the right to interview other women. And that's not, that's not right. I mean, I think there's so many men who were just as impressed by Coco Goff's when um, I, 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 if I had been a sports journalist, I would have loved to have been the person sitting there at that table asking her some questions and trying to see, you know, as, as a dad. I mean, yeah. you know, but that's not there. And I, if you you watch women's tennis now, I'm telling you, 95 percent of the people who do the questioning are all females. That's a good and point. When you watch female, when you watch women's soccer, it's almost like it's relegated to just female reporters, and it should not be. If we want to have you know, a, a sexually, you know, unbiased portrayal, we should have as many men participating in women's journalism for gym, for sports as we do women participating in men's for sports, right? Okay. Or- I mean, I, I agree. You want a different perspective. That's what's great about having a woman's perspective in football is that sometimes you get more of the players' stories behind the pads, behind the helmet, seeing who they are, what their families are like. It offers, a you know, a different perspective sometimes than what, or what the traditional male stories might be that I'm sorry to, you know, put people in tropes, but you know, it just different sexes have different perspectives. Um, I think that, it, I mean, I would love to hear John McEnroe interview Coco Golf. I don't, I think, I think it's important to have those different perspectives. And like you said, especially was, I mean, he was so nervous. He couldn't sit in the player's box. He's way up in the stands and she ran to go hug him. It was such a sweet and tender moment. Like, you know, I wanted to hear more about that too. Um, right. I, yeah. I wanted to hear a little bit more about the fact that she, when she was saying that um, the player she was playing against, she she threw out a comment about the fact, well, you know, I practice against a lot of men and nobody picked up on that. I really wish they had they picked up on that because that's how she's got that power and the ability yeah. to return those powerful serves. Not that she's not getting power hits from other women, but, you know, I mean, we do know that men do hit that ball about five miles an hour faster than a woman yeah. does. And so, you know, for a woman to actually train against men and beat them the way she does, I think I, I would have wished that somebody would have picked up on that comment, but they didn't do that. That's a really good point, because I, like you said, a bail reporter in there would have, because that, that would have registered more. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think what's so great is having different perspectives, different diversity of opinions out there. And that's going to give you a more complete story. I'm sorry. I knew you had kids, but I didn't. Do you have any girls? I do not. Yeah, boy. I, have, I I was I have two sisters and then I had two boys. Okay, and would you would you wish well would you hope do your sisters have any daughters? They do. Yes. Okay. Would would yes. you suggest to them a career as a sports commentator? Yeah, I mean, if that's what their dream is, yes. And I, I mean, I loved it. I loved the adrenaline of being on the field and following a game. And I covered mainly football, but I also did color commentary for volleyball games, which was such a treat for me. I mean, that was like dessert. I just like, you know, I played volleyball and to get to be out there covering it um, to me, it was, it was, it was just so fun and easy because I I already knew everything. Um, Here here comes, here comes my, my, you can hit me for this because this this would be a sexist 
question if I, yeah. I bet somebody's going to say I'm trying to be sexist about this, but I'm not. But as a mom with two boys, would you recommend your boys play football? Especially with what we're starting to find out now, the fact that you know they they have not covered and figured out how to protect those heads the way they should. Um, and unfortunately, you know, 10 or 15 years after a sport, you know, is when we start to develop issues from the sport. And I'm not pleased. I'm not trying to, to um, cast an aspersion against volleyball or even soccer. Yeah. But, you know, the heading of that ball, believe it or not, I remember I used to uh, have a very close friend of mine. His name is Dr. Joseph Maroon. I don't know if you know who Dr. Maroon was. Yeah. Dr. Maroon was one of the leading NFL uh, neurologists, University of Pittsburgh. I think he ran one of the, the first um, concussive injury centers in the country. And he had commented to me about, you know, what people don't understand is that we all look at football and we say, you know, football, that's where most of the head trauma comes from. But Montel, believe it or not, the majority of people who end up suffering later in life from head trauma are young girls. And why? Really? Because yes, because, you know, girls don't have the neck strength. And this is not no aspersion, you don't have the same muscular development in your neck. And when you are a 13, 14, 15 year old little girl and you have a coach bounce ball off your forehead, you literally are rattling your brain way more than or as much as a person who takes a hit on a football field. And sometimes that rattling of that brain doesn't show up until mid 20s, early 30s. Uh, there's association between some forms of postpartum depression and teenage, you know, soccer and volleyball playing in females. Ah, a lot of people are starting to look at that now and understand that, you know, the fact of the matter is, yes, if we did the same amount of neck, first off, no girls want to walk around with 18 inch necks, you know, because, <laughs> but, but you know, we take a look at the female athlete versus the male athlete that neck strength is what actually helps to protect the head a little bit from that waiver when you get smacked in it. So, right. um, you, you know, know what, I, I will say back to football, my sons are seven and nine. They play flag football right now right. And, and they love it. I mean, and you know, like I said, Texas football is the main sport here. So they, it is their favorite extracurricular sport right now. And, um, it's fairly, I think at the flag level, it's safe. They're seven on seven. You're pulling a flag. There's no contact. Otherwise they're wearing soft helmets. And, you know, there's been more injuries in our baseball little league than seven on seven flag football tackle. I don't know. I mean, that's something that I think, you know, six that starts in sixth grade in Texas, there are options for fifth graders, but we wouldn't do it then. Um, and football has obviously become a gladiator sport. It's right. you have to be big you have to be really strong. There are exceptions, but for the most part, like it's the really big guys. And I have one son who's bigger and he, he is a more of a bruiser and then one who's a lot smaller. And I don't know if he, the smaller one will play. And I, it scares me a little bit. Did you, did you, did you see Dallas last night? Did you watch Dallas? <laughs> That's what, it's so funny. I literally, as I was talking about smaller players, I was just there thinking, three, they got three players on their team. I think they're under five ten. There's a player who is 5'5", five, five, Montel. That is that's, not does not happen in the NFL. He was tiny. He scored a touchdown. Yeah, that's right. They, that's yeah. right. Five, five, uh, 175 pounds, something like that. Come on now. I know. I mean, I was, my husband's like, I'm bigger than that. That's crazy. Uh, well, you know, what was, what was very funny, I, I went to the Naval Academy. I, I graduated from Naval Academy in Annapolis. 
And, you know, on the East Coast, there is a full league that's called 150-pound football, where no player on the team can be bigger than 150 pounds. And that seems to have reduced the number of injuries in college football because you have people of the same size running into each other, people of the same size tackling each other, guys that aren't, you know, at 150 pounds, you're not generating that that momentum force, you know, when uh, you, you, you contact. And I've often wondered why there isn't a league that, I mean, limit the, the player size to 180, limit the right. player size to 175 so that, you know, you don't have these 320-pound guys or, you know, 285. No, I'm sorry. The 320s normally don't run that fast. The three eight, the 280s, the 275s that can run a five-flat 40, come on now. That's just like a, that's a bohemian coming down the field running right at. It's a car. Right. Well, you know, I've seen it some in youth football in Texas because people started to drop out. They were starting to lose parents because everyone was worrying about concussion issues. So now leagues do have weight weigh-ins. And so if you, and you can still play if you weigh over, you know, say a hundred pounds, but you wear a special jersey you're not allowed. There's certain rules then if you're wearing, I think it's like, you know, a red 90 jersey that they all put on if they're over 100 pounds and they, you know, they have special rules for those players. This is a, a youth league. Now in high school or middle school football, you know, it's just everyone makes the team. The best players make the team and you go at each other. Right. Um, and so, I mean, I've worked enough games where I've seen at the high school level some pretty devastating injuries. And so you know, oh, I think, oh my goodness, do I want my, my boys to do that? I don't know. I mean, the answer right now, like, I think I'll let them try and see if they like it. But um, it, I do have pause because I've seen those injuries, Montel. And it's hard to watch, especially when it's a high school kid. And you're thinking, you know, I've seen one get carted off in an ambulance and they they thought about airlifting him because they, they were worried, you know, he didn't have movement from his neck down. Now he was able to, he ended up regaining it. But for a few minutes, I mean, everyone, it was literally, there was no one taking a breath in the stadium. It, everyone was pretty scared. Um, and they had, they were calling in for a helicopter and he ended up starting to move and they took him on an ambulance. Uh, but that moment really shook me. And I, I told my husband when I came home, that's, uh, that's when my little one was, I think, a few months old. And I said, oh, gosh, now I'm scared for my boys to play football. I've covered it. That's been my career. And I'm like, and I, I worry about them being out there. Well, then one more question for you. What do you, what do you think about the phenomena that finally American football, you know, for the longest time, football, football was always soccer internationally. But now football is really starting to gain, you know, uh, attraction internationally. And we have played teams. Did you ever have to travel with the Texans uh, to Europe to play a game? You know, I just traveled within the United States. We never, I, I did not go with them to a London game or to a Mexico City game. Um, because obviously Texas is so close to Mexico, they've really tried to build up the fan base across the border. And so that was initiative that was starting when I was there, but uh, I was not there for one of the Mexico city games. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the NFL is popular and, and they've, they've done, you know, obviously through their TV contracts and, and the TV product is so good. They are, uh, they reign supreme in the United States, but you now see it, like you said, more internationally. And I think I was just in Mexico not that long ago for someone's wedding. And we're walking down the streets in San Miguel de Allende and someone had on a Texans jersey. I was sort of shocked. <laughs> well, you know, it's very funny. I, I think I can't remember the numbers now, but it was something like, you know, 16 out of the top, you know, 20 most viewed television things in the last year was all football. It was all football. 
Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah. Crazy. Do you intend to get back in front of the camera on the sideline or what? I don't think so. I really enjoyed writing this book. I loved writing Sideline Confidential. Uh, people have asked me about writing a sequel, so I've, I've been churning on that. Um, I really do love writing about sports, though, because I feel like sports brings out so much of the human condition. And so I've, I've thought about a little bit of a, a book about the Little League culture in Texas, too, and maybe Pee Wee football. Anyways, I have a few ideas churning that I think I'll, I'll turn to. Well, you know, it's very interesting you say the, the culture of football. It's very interesting how you know, we can all just get along on a football field, no matter what your race, color, creed, doesn't matter what your sexual preference is. Yep. We get along on a football field. But when we walk out of that football field, it's like, eh, we can't anymore. Um, Isn't that amazing? You're it, in it for that for that game. You're in it for a common purpose. And in fans, too. I mean, you have you see in the stands people of all shapes, colors, sizes, everything. And they're in it for their team. And then it's so hard when you leave the stadium to have that common bond. But with the sport, it can bring people together from all walks of life. You do mention and talk a little bit about the double standard of appearance in, you know, this industry, especially when it comes to commentators like yourself. What do you have to say to those who haven't gotten it yet? That it really, it's not, you have to have this pretty girl. It's, it, you, know, it's a, you have to have a knowledgeable person who understands what they're talking about. You know, I think, well, you have to know what you're talking about because no one wants to listen otherwise. I think that there was a time in the beginning when women were starting to be in more positions on the sidelines that some, you know, networks hired pretty faces because they like they wanted to make a splash. And those women didn't last as long. Their careers didn't last as long because they didn't necessarily know the, the sports, the in and outs of broadcasting, um, maybe as much as more veteran reporters did. Uh, but you know, I mean, I think that there is a bias towards women who have a certain look and I mean, Erin Andrews is excellent at what she does. She's also beautiful. And I don't think that hurts her. And, uh, you know, she, she gets lots of commercials. She gets tons of endorsements. Um, I mean, she's a really good reporter, so I'm not trying to knock her, but I do think it also helps when you have a certain look and she has that. Um, but there's also women who, I mean, I think there's just so many women who've lasted in the industry that they're just pros, pros. I mean, you see like Lisa Salters, she's been doing it forever. She's amazing. And it doesn't matter that like, they're so good. It doesn't matter. They're just above that. So it, it really like none of the other things matter because their questions are good. They follow the game so well, they have great rapport with coaches and players. And so, you know, the product you're going to get. And if you're that good, it just doesn't matter. Did we not? Wasn't it this year that we saw for the first time a female referee on on a, a field or program? Yes. yes, there's. I mean, this year in the NFL, there's six assistant coaches who are females. Never before has there been that. Never before. Do you yeah. think that's going to grow? I think so. I mean, I was researching. I that came across somewhere on a news feed, and I thought, no way. Like this has to be something made up. And then I looked, and there are, and they all have great backgrounds, and they've worked for you know, uh, arena teams in the past, or they've worked for college teams, they've worked their way up and they're not just sort of being put there because they're a female and they're, you know, a team wants to have a, a PR stunt. Um, they seem very accomplished. So I'm excited to see, see what happens in that capacity. And, and in that vein, I, you, you must be appalled when you see, you know, I, I don't know if there's one of those leagues out there this year with the women out in the, the bikinis and the, the, no. the shoulder pads. 
yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that motel. Right, right. I, I can imagine you're not. Yeah, I mean, there's. I think someone else was start, talking about starting a league that was like a topless women's sports league, and I thought, really, I, really? Yeah. I, I want to see. I'm excuse me. I, I, my first thought is I want to see a whole bunch of bruised boobs. Excuse my mouth for saying it that way, but I mean, I, it's just bizarre. I was like, I don't. Would that be enjoyable for anyone? Like even them? I, I, <laughs> I don't. Know. Anyways, I've been channel surfing and not this year, but last year I remember I was channel surfing. And I went by, I went, are you kidding me? I, I and I just kept going because it's, it's, that that's nothing. There's nothing erotic about it. There's nothing, nothing about it. There's not exactly. I know. I mean, I, I, I guess there's money to be made somehow that way, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm personally not a fan. Well, you did just say next for you is possibly some more writing um anything else you'd like to add you know um this book for me had I, like you've gone through my career i've been so proud of my reporting career but this book to me has been my greatest achievement so far because i, I really feel like i could touch young women not just in sports journalism but at any profession where they're entering a male-dominated workforce and so this has just been a really enriching experience to be out talking about this book and then to talk to you Montel. I told you, I mean, I've been a big fan of yours. So this is super cool. And I'm really grateful that you had me on. Brooke, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. I know our viewers are going to really, really, really love this interview. Uh, if they wanted to get more information about you, where would they go? Uh, my website, brookebentley.com. You can learn more about me. I have some other writing uh, articles that I've done and you'll see all the media and you can buy the book. There's, it's being Great. sold wherever books are sold. Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, all of the places. Well, you need to get out and get a copy of it. And thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Um, I wish you well, your family well, and, and hopefully, you know, don't give up on being in front of that camera. Oh, thank you, Montel. I appreciate that. Absolutely. You take care of yourself and be well. You too. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Free Thinking with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please send us your comments.